0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about having an encounter with God. Having an encounter with God. Anybody desire having an encounter with God? You know, We can position ourselves to have an encounter with God. Uh, But before we get into that do anybody remember the idiom some call it a Chinese proverb that a picture is worth a thousand words? You ever hear that? Well if a picture is worth a thousand words then seeing God is worth a million pictures. Can you say amen to that? We want to try to communicate things to people. We want to try to reach people's hearts and minds. But I'll tell you what, one glimpse of God it's all it takes. One glimpse of God is all it takes. So throughout history, people have experienced supernatural manifestations and encounters with God that have changed their lives forever. You think about Isaiah, saw the Lord high and lifted up. Not more needs to be said. It changed his life forever. You think about Moses at a burning bush. Remember? He heard the voice of the Lord there at that burning bush. He had that encounter with God there. And what impacted his life impacted two nations as a result. Egypt and Israel. And then think about the apostle Paul and what a transformation. On the Damascus road when he saw Jesus. All he had to do was see Jesus. And all of a sudden everything he did came to a halt. He did a 180. No one had to tell him. No one had to preach to him. Once he saw Jesus, that ended it all right there. And he's, of course, heading in another direction. The reason why we have these kinds of meetings here tonight, is like fasting and prayer, is just to come and spend some time individually and collectively before the presence of God, to position ourselves to encounter him. Isn't that what you've come tonight for? To encounter him, to have a personal encounter with him. And we shouldn't be satisfied with the encounter we had the other day or the other year we want a fresh encounter with God all the time as often as we possibly can because if we don't you know we could find ourselves slipping away from things and not on top of things like we should be things happening within in our hearts and minds that you know how did I let that happen why is that taking place why is that going on in my life Uh, like young people you know, they're on fire for God at one point, and then all of a sudden things are happening. They're surrounded by other influences, and they might drift away from the things of God. Maybe not intentionally, but very subtly, little by little. We try to talk to them, get, to get them right back and walking with God. What they need is to see Him. They need to see. So, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we're going to start with just real quick. We're going to look at Isaiah, who saw the Lord high and lifted up. So, let's read these verses. First of all, there are fourfold work that takes place and you'll see it here outlined in this particular, this particular chapter, chapter six in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also the Lord. Boy, just stop right there. Let that sink into our ears. He saw the Lord. What would you do? What would you give? Wouldn't it be wonderful? I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Just envision that. Just see yourself there. You think that would impact your life? Might change the way we think? I believe so. The first thing we see here is clarity. In your notes there, you'll notice number one is clarity. There's a fourfold work here that takes place in his life and Moses' life and also Paul's life. And we have him revealed right here. Clarity, number one. He saw him as he truly is. He got a vision of his holiness. And when he said, be holy for I am holy, it wasn't very long before he hit his knees, and you'll see that, but he hit his knees and he realized just how holy God is. When he saw the angels and heard the angels crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Clarity. He saw the holiness of God. He saw the righteousness of God. And also he had revealed to him the plan of God. So right there in that moment, number one, clarity comes to him. And you know, we all need that clarity, don't we? To see some things more clearly, to understand them better. But here he has the wonderful experience of seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And the impact that that one experience had upon his life was life-changing forever. Don't need to hear another sermon. Don't have to preach another message. Can you imagine someone coming up to him and just saying, I don't believe in that God stuff. You don't? No, I don't believe in that God stuff. You're just a weakling. You can believe what you want to believe. It's not, buddy, it's not what I believe. It's what I saw. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And you know what? (laughs) You better take heed to what I'm saying to you because he is a holy, righteous God. And I saw him with my own two eyes. Now, of course, God had to do a work for him to be able to see him because no one can see the face of God and live, so you know he made special preparation provision for that, but he saw the Lord, and you talk about an impact, sometimes we can get just off track and start, just forget about this particular aspect of even our coming together, we've come to see the Lord, we've come to honor Him in this place, we've come to magnify His presence in this place, and give His presence presence, the highest place of honor and reverence, secondly was conviction, there was conviction the moment he saw the Lord high and lifted up, what happened? He got a vision of his holiness and he was down on his knees. Look at the verse, in the next verse, verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me. Notice he didn't say, Woe is my neighbor and everybody else around me. He said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. He identified with his shortcomings, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he included everybody else. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When a person really sees him as he truly is, will be very much aware of anything. A shortcoming, inadequacy, or whatever. And that's exactly what happened to him. So you can imagine that wayward children, if if they're out there and just get a vision of God, that's what we want, for them to be able to really see him as he truly is. Yes, he's a good God. He's holy. He is righteous. We thank God for that. But we also know that he is a God that is a just and God who, you know, he believes in punishment for evil doing and and all that. So we understand that. But when they see him high and lifted up, When they see him as being a holy God. Something happens. That words just. Maybe fall short. You can preach and preach and preach all you want. I remember the story of. uh, Norval Hayes' daughter when she saw the holy. Just an angel. When she saw that angel. Standing at the foot of her bed. She turned her entire life around. Gave up the drugs. The alcohol and everything else that she was engaged. and Involved in and went off to Bible school. and Became a minister of the gospel. One look into the eyes of an angel. Didn't have to say anything. That's all it took. But then thirdly, cleansing. Notice a cleansing. There's clarity. You truly see clearly. There's conviction. Oh my, there's certain things I need to do. A cleansing. Thank God he doesn't leave us hanging out there. Amen. Let's read the next verses. Verses six and seven. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Praise God. Why be in that place of his presence? To see him as a holy God? To have clarity? To expose anything? The light of his scrutiny is exposing certain things that maybe have to be dealt with twice. The ultimate end is so that we can have a manifestation of the greater glory of God in our lives. And so he's, he's purged from it. So there's cleansing from any sin, any attitude, any inadequacy that might stand out or whatever. You know, sometimes I think God knows us better than we know ourselves. Or, and sometimes there's some things that may be standing in our way that we're unaware of. Anybody agree to that? And so we just ask him to shine a lot of his scrutiny upon our lives and just show us, you know, so that we can do something about it and get, it, get rid of it. But he makes provision for us. The cleansing with the coal from off the sacrifice. Aren't you glad we got a better sacrifice than that? The blood of Jesus Christ. And then the commission. The fourth thing is the commission. Now that you're in a place that you can go. He says to go. That means to be authorized and equipped to go. But let's read the verse. Verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I. Here am I send me. Isn't it something that there's a boldness about us when we get to the place that we know that we're just in that place of right standing, of righteousness and holiness and anything that needs to be dealt with has been dealt with and we're ready to go. We're confident, we're bold. I'm ready to go to do your will, to speak your word, to do whatever it is that you've called me to do. But we see that one thing happening when he encountered God in that powerful and profound way It completely turned his life around. So sometimes in even praying for others that are out there that maybe we want them to get saved or just come back to the Lord. Lord, give them a vision of who you really are. Show them your beauty, your holiness, your goodness, your mercy, your power, etc. Show them. Open up their eyes that they can clearly see. Look at the next one. That's Exodus Moses in Exodus chapter 3 Moses had the same thing happen in his life you know he's minding his own business he's doing his own thing but now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law and the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the back side of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb and an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in the flame of the fire out of the midst of the bush and he looked and behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed and Moses said I will now turn aside And see this great sight, while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Remember when you use the double name, it's a term of endearment. And he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land, unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites look how far back he was dealing with the ites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Egypt so he revealed himself to him And he revealed his plan to him, didn't he? It's exactly what he did to Moses. Moses wasn't too thrilled about that. But he did do it. So there's clarity. He tells them who he is. He identifies himself. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I hear the cry of my people. And you know what? I've got a plan. And that plan includes you, Moses. I am going to send you. So that you can lead them out of that bondage and that oppression. Okay, so then secondly, there's... Conviction, notice uh, verse 11, there's conviction, and Moses said unto God, who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt, then go to chapter 4, look at verse 10, and Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither her- heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue so now we see he's dealing with some conviction, I can't speak I'm inadequate, and now I've got some shortcomings basically you don't want to send me, isn't it something that we can tell God that we're smarter than he is, and we know more than he does I think every one of us would say the same thing, you know Lord send somebody else because they'll do a better job than I'll do, you know what he says I know you, I've called you, I've anointed you, I've appointed you I know your capabilities, I know your shortcomings, I know your faults, I know your failures, but guess what? I'm sending you anyhow. So there was conviction that maybe he wasn't good enough to get the job done. He didn't have the tools, the equipment to get the job done. But aren't you glad there's cleansing? Look at the next thing. Cleansing. Look at the next verse. There's cleansing. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf and who see, or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. So in other words, get your eyes off of yourself, your faults, your inadequacies, your shortcomings, your inability to speak and all that and recognize me. I am your creator. I am your redeemer. I am your life giver. I will be with your mouth. And so therefore you will be able to speak because I will be with your mouth and I will tell you what to say. So now we have the same thing happening here. There's conviction you know. after God reveals himself and there's clarity and there's conviction and now there's cleansing letting him know that I'm going to be the one but look at the the fourth one It's, it's the same verse but notice he says now therefore go Go and the word go there," when he says to go that means you are authorized to go and you are equipped to go. God's not going to send you somewhere without equipping you to go do what you need to do. So go and I will be with your mouth. What a comforting thought to know that we're not doing it on our own. We're not doing it ourselves. But praise God he is the one that will enable us to do what we need to do. But he had a fresh encounter. He had an encounter with God. And that encounter that he had with God turned really the course. Affected the course of two nations. And look at the third one, look at the Apostle Paul, and this one is just huge. But you see the same thing, clarity, conviction, cleansing, and then commission. But notice this, now therefore go, and he went. Now here in Acts chapter 9, we see the Apostle Paul. And beginning at uh, verse 3, you know that he was trying to kill Christians and just stamp out Christianity. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined right about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Many are saying that today. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So he here we have clarity once again. You know, Paul, Saul of Tarsus didn't believe in Jesus. Saul of Tarsus didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a matter of fact he hated Christians he hated Christianity he hated Jesus and anyone that called upon him and so he was out doing a service for God so he thought to kill anyone and everyone that said that they were a Christian why because it was coming against Judaism he was so dedicated and sold out to Judaism that he wanted to wipe out Christianity now he was a zealot I mean he was zealous for what he was doing as far as what he was doing but all of a sudden what does he have? an encounter with Jesus one encounter with Jesus can take someone basically a murderer a destroyer, Saul means destroyer and turn him around to become a builder for the kingdom of God so we see there's clarity and then also we understand that there's a conviction who art thou, Lord, he says. Now notice this. Notice in verse 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? What will thou have me to do? Why is that conviction? Because he's saying, I guess I'm not doing the right thing. I guess what I'm, not, what I'm doing is not what you want me to do, Lord. So what would you have me to do? He was convicted about what he was doing. He was offending Jesus. He was hurting the kingdom of God. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So we have clarity. We have God revealing himself and his plan to him. We've got conviction. He's convicted about what he's doing, killing all these Christians and coming against Christ and the, and the church and the kingdom of God. Okay, then we have cleansing. Go on down now to verse 17 and 18. You talk about a cleansing in this man's life. Now remember, he is actually killing Christians. He is actually the one who they brought the clothes of the first Christian martyr Stephen to his feet because that's what he set out to do. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. So we see now here's cleansing. He is saved. He is delivered. He is healed. He is baptized in water. You talk about cleansing. He went through an entire cleansing process. And saw what Jesus is truly all about. And then there's commission. He was told what to do. Look in verses 20 through 22. You talk about a change in a man's life. Once again thousand sermons might not be able to achieve this goal but one look at Jesus one encounter with Jesus turns a man's life around for a lifetime and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues wait a minute he is a Jew who is now preaching Christ in a synagogue think about that that he is the son of God but all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. What ignites a fire in a man to do something like that? Right there in Damascus where they got wind, he's coming to destroy us, he's coming to kill anyone who names Christ, and he goes into the synagogue and he preaches that Jesus is the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit. You talk about a commission, what a commission that he had. Well, we see all three of these experiencing all those four things. You see the clarity that comes to Him? We see the conviction that comes. Conviction comes with clarity. When I see what He is really about and what He is really like and when I understand His holiness and His righteousness and that we serve a holy God and I have that clarity of understanding and knowing of His plan it'll bring conviction if I'm not doing the right thing in my life. It'll, it'll conv- conviction is an okay thing. You realize it's not condemnation, it's called conviction. To be convicted, I've got to do the right thing. I've got to live the way he wants me to live. I've got to do what he wants me to do. I've got to serve him the way he wants me to serve him. I've got to surrender my heart and my will to him and do everything the way he wants me to do it. And if there's some things that I need to be corrected in my life, I have to sub- submit myself to his leadership and correction, right? So there's conviction. But thank God there's a cleansing. He knows we're not perfect. He knows we're going to make mistakes along the way. He knows there's going to be some shortcomings and faults and, and, and that we experience and that we have and... And all these shortcomings can, you know, maybe interfere with our walk with God. But thank God there's always the cleansing of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from anything and everything that we've done to displease God in our lives in any way. Are you glad for the precious blood of Jesus Christ? There's that cleansing. But then also the commission for us to go and do what he told us to do. What is the great commission? Go in all the world. Be an example. Be a shining light everywhere we go. Let people know. As they see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and they glorify our Father in heaven. So, positioning ourselves now, every single one of us, we can't make God give us an encounter. We can't twist his arm. But you know what? We can position ourselves to experience an encounter with God. If there's certain things that will follow. You know, and I know in my own personal life as I was... You know, beginning my walk with the Lord, and and just began to do things that I just knew I should do, and just following through with certain things I guess inspired by the Spirit because I didn't have a whole lot of teaching when I first got saved, but I started doing the things that I felt from my heart that I should do. I should go to church all the time, and I did, even though I worked in a mill and worked different shifts and all that, and it was not easy. Like on a, we had the service on a Thursday night for me to get over to the, you know, to to a service. If I worked in the afternoon, I couldn't go, but. But then on the other two shifts, it wasn't easy to go because it was an early shift in the morning or I worked at the night shift. I had to be at the, at the mill um, right at the... Actually, sometimes before service was even over, but I didn't make that an excuse, as an excuse. I still would bring my work clothes and I'd change my clothes to go on down to the mill and go to work and all that. I purposely began just to pursue God. I wanted to have an encounter with Him. I wanted to know Him better. And so I positioned myself, number one, Notice the first one, surrender our will to God. Surrender our all, our will. Nothing more important than our will. We're all free moral agents. We can make choices that we want to make in life. But notice in Matthew's gospel, Jesus, the ultimate surrender to the will of the Father. And he went a little further, fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I want what you want done in my life. I want to surrender my heart to you, surrender my will to you. you. know, we give him our heart, we give him our life, but also it's important that we surrender our will. I will to do the will of him that sent me. That's what Jesus came to do. And we need to follow that same pattern. I want to live my life the way you want me to live my life, not the way I want to live my life. I want your will done in my life. And the only way that can happen, by going to the book, the Bible and finding out what the will of God is this is the will of God in Christ concerning us, certain things that he's outlined for us so how do I position myself surrendering my will to him going into the Bible finding out what the word of God says about how I should live my life and then you know what doing it it talks about our priorities putting God first that our spouse second that our children third and it goes down from there that we see to it that we honor him by doing that and then we live our life in such a way so as to pursue him as my will is concerned. But then secondly, when it comes to our spouse, that we love him, we love her as Christ loved the church, or we, you, know, you love him or respond to him with, with reverence and respect. And, and that's a relationship that's a very important relationship to the Lord. And guess what? It's not based on our feelings and emotions. It's based on what God has told us to do and whether or not we want to surrender to do his will. And it goes down from there, teaching our children the things of God and being an example for them to follow. They can see Christ in us, the hope of glory and so on. Secondly, ask God what needs to be addressed. Don't be afraid to get in his presence. And once again, when he manifests his presence, he'll expose some things. But look at Psalm 139, what it says, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of God. Everlasting. Search my heart and try my reins in other words. I know if there's any change that needs to take place it cannot be with you. Because you never change. You're always the same. You're always perfect. You can't improve on on perfection. But I know I can change. If I'm not experiencing something in my life that you've offered or promised in your word. It's not you that's got to change. Can we all say amen to that? I'm the one that has to change. Because I know what your will is, what your word says. Number three express a sincere desire, show that you really mean what you're saying, I need you to show me, if you're believing God for something, I need you to show me Father, if there's anything that's interfering with my receiving from you, okay, look in the book of um, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13, we just talked about this verse, and you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart, in other words the depth of desire, I really desire to know you, I really desire to walk with you, I really desire to understand some things I need to understand, whatever it is that I need to deal with, I want to know that as well, because Lord, I want to experience and encounter you in a powerful and positive way in my life, I want you to prevail in my life, as Paul said, there's nothing more important than knowing Jesus and understanding the fellowship of his suffering and, and the power of the resurrection that raised him from the dead manifesting itself in our bodies and number four on how important this one is is to listen to listen to what he's saying in psalm 46 and verse 10 listen be still and know that i am god be still and know that i am god we're positioning ourselves to experience him be still and know that i am god i'll be exalted among the heathen i'll be exalted in the earth Isn't that what we want him to be exalted here among us collectively as a church body, but also as individuals, our individual lives? You know, our Christianity doesn't end when we walk out the door, does it? It's everywhere we go. And so we want him to manifest himself in us and through us everywhere we go. And so we need to be still and know what he's saying to us. He is God Almighty. What are you saying? What are you speaking to my heart, to my mind? What do I need to adjust? What do I need to change in my life so I can have the fullness, you know, of what you desire for me? Number five. And this is always going to be a fight that we fight, stand against doubtful thoughts. The enemy will throw doubtful thoughts into our way, into our thought life. When we get on our knees before God and we surrender our hearts and will to Him, He'll he'll probably tell you, look, there's no need to do this, there's no need to do that. Aren't you bored with getting on your knees and worshiping God like that? Is it really going to get you anywhere? You know, you're reading more of the Bible and, and that sort of thing. We all deal with thoughts that come against our mind that need to be cast down. Every thought, every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we've got to take into captivity and bring him into the obedience of Christ. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-5. through For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty God through God that are pulling down the strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. He'll attack our thought life to make us think that what we're doing is, is really mindless or whatever. I'll be honest with you, in some cases, what people would rather do, go to a church service where they could just be entertained by the worship and praise team. But when it comes to getting on your knees and face before God, well, that doesn't seem to be too exciting, because why doesn't it appeal to the flesh as much? Right? And that's why a lot has been lost, I believe, in our modern worship services, because people would rather be entertained than rather entertain God with their worship and with their praise because the flesh just you know the flesh acts up your flesh ever act up Paul's did he had to beat it silly every single day of his life he said look at the next one (laughs) praise God number six believe in the promises of God's presence didn't he say I'll never leave you nor forsake you didn't he say he inhabits the praises of his people if we really believe he inhabits the praises of his people then guess what the more we praise Him, the more we experience His manifested presence. And that's what He wants us to do. If we'll position ourselves by praising Him on a regular basis, look at the next one, number number seven. Minister to the Lord regularly. Psalm 22.3 says He inhabits the praise of His people, right? But minister to the Lord how often? Regularly. If we make a habit of ministering to the Lord, Isaiah 40.31 will be a reality. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength to mount up with wings as eagles to run and not wear and walk and not faint. So you see, God wants us to spend some time collectively as a church body, which is what we've been talking about. Not to come and be entertained, but to come and really worship Him and honor Him. He wants us to position ourselves so that we can all have individual encounters with God as well as a corporate encounter with God right here in our midst. When we gather together in such a way, such as a time like this here, where we can experience his manifested presence or we could say his glory among us when I first came 39 years ago I'll never forget the incident that took place you know being up at prayer mountain and just worshiping God and when I looked over and saw the glory of God standing over right there in the, uh, on the really it was on the hilltop I just saw it there and I really was kind of puzzled because it looked like a cloud that was not moving it was just there the glory cloud I went on to preach my message I'll never forget the message from 2nd Kings chapter 2 I talked about um, uh, Elisha following Elijah you know in the different four steps there the different places stopped the at Gilgal then Bethel then Jericho and then finally Jordan and I talked about those different stages in a Christian's life and at the end of it I just invited people to come and when people came that same glory that was over there just standing there engulfed us people would come to the altar falling under I mean there wasn't an altar was out there in a tent it was a tent meeting and they would start walking up and coming down like the middle like right, right here and they would get so far and boom they'd fall over and boom they'd fall over it was such a presence of God such a manifestation of the glory of God in that place you talk about an encounter with God it was an amazing encounter with God but look at the ingredients there's a hungry heart People's hearts were hungry. That was during the charismatic movement. They were hungry and thirsty for the things of God and wanted to know God, wanted to see God, wanted to experience God. So you see, when our hearts really hunger and thirst and we position ourselves, I believe that God's gonna look over the banisters of heaven and continue to manifest himself in glorious and powerful ways in our lives.